Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the words of the Lord. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard... Because of your hard and... (laughs) That baby threw me off. Um... But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, uh, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. Everybody loves a great deal, right? Everybody loves a great deal. And some of you, of course, are more frugal than others. Um, but everybody, cheap, that's what that means. Uh, but everybody loves a great deal, right? Uh, so it doesn't matter. If it's at a restaurant, you love uh, the, the two-for-one deal, you know? You're looking for the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to get half-off appetizers, uh, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's your, getting your nails done. You, you love a great deal. Maybe it's Starbucks. It's at a coffee shop. Uh, maybe it's the candy lady's deal. Anybody remember the candy lady? Uh, every hood has a candy lady. I grew up with a candy lady right around the corner. And man, she'd have, uh, she'd have some hot pickles with uh, a peppermint stick stuck in the middle. Anybody know about that? Yeah, y'all don't know about those pickles. Um, the candy lady had great deals. Everybody loves... Some of y'all stuck on the peppermint and the pickle. Look, I'm going to educate y'all before it's over with. Uh, hood snacks, 101. <laughs> remember those little Romeo chips? Anybody remember? No, y'all don't remember those. Uh, remember mixing sugar with Kool-Aid and putting it in a bag? That was like a homemade pixie stick, pointing in your finger. All little kids walking around with red palms because they're licking Kool-Aid out of the palm of their hands. Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, (laughs) Everybody loves a great deal. It doesn't matter. Man, maybe you go to Kroger. I remember a couple weeks ago, I was in Kroger, and they had a big bag of grapes for 99 cents. I was excited. Uh... And when you find a good deal, you got to tell somebody, right? When you find a good deal, and ladies, y'all are the, the worst 
and the best all in the same time at this. Uh, women, I admire you. You can find a dress for $12. You know, you can find shoes for $7. I wish I could find some shoes for $7. Please tell me where a man, man can find some shoes for $7. But anyway, we, we love these great deals and we have to tell somebody why. Because we want them to benefit the great deal as well. We want them to benefit from the great deal. So you get on the phone. Girl, guess what? I saw so-and-so at Kroger, two for one. You better go get yours. Or you get on that cell phone and you begin tweeting, uh, man, just got the greatest deal on, uh, I just got the greatest deal on my new gym membership. Hashtag winning. Y'all know y'all do that. Um, Everybody loves a great deal. And you tell somebody, get this, because you want them to benefit from that great deal as well. When we come to our text this morning, Paul has benefited from a great deal in Christ. And he is telling us he wants others to take advantage of the great deal that he has in Christ. Let me give you a roadmap for where we're going this morning. Paul gives us three ways we can benefit from this great deal in Christ. We can benefit by living compassionate toward one another without pointing fingers. Two, we can benefit from God-given opportunity to turn away from sin. And lastly, we can benefit through unity with people different than us. This morning, I want to speak from the subject, a great deal. Uh, But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you that you are the greatest deal of all. Thank you that we benefit from knowing you, Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us in this time now. Father, would you anoint this moment? Would you anoint this preaching moment? Father, would your spirit reign in this place? Uh, Father, we need you. We need you to speak to us. Father, I pray that you would open ears to hear from you. pray that you would open eyes to see the truth of your word and of the gospel, O Lord. Father, would you be in our midst We need to encounter you this morning. I pray you would move me out of the way. Not good enough, smart enough, Father, but would you use this broken vessel in spite of me, Lord, anyway. Father, I pray that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase, Father. May your will be done this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at Romans, um, there's a couple reoccurring themes uh, in Paul's letter to the Church of Rome, uh, there's a couple reoccurring things, they, and they, they they occur over and over again. The first is that we're messed up, and, and haven't you experienced that in your own life? The reality that you are sinful. We'll see this over and over and over again. It Paul is going to show us that every part of us is tainted by sin. Uh, we'll also see that we're in need. And and God has provided a solution for our sin through Jesus. Paul says in a couple key verses in Romans 16 through 17, Richard went through a couple weeks ago. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what Paul just penned there is such great news for us. 
It's great news for us because it lets us know no matter what we are going through, no matter what struggle we face, no matter what valley we find ourselves in, Jesus is greater. That's what the gospel says. It says there is nothing we can go through that is too hard for Him. There's no struggle that's too hard for Him, that's too much for Him. It tells us that Jesus is greater. That we may face some big problems, we may face some big sin issues, but Jesus is enough. He is greater. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, get this, we cannot fix ourselves. The good news of the gospel is, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how, 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 how smart you are. But you can't fix yourself. All of us have been tainted with sin and we cannot fix it. And the good news is, God has sent one to bridge the gap on our behalf. He can fix it through Jesus. He can fix it through Jesus. Y'all better talk to me this morning. I'm ready to preach, but I need y'all to talk to me. Um, God says, I can fix it. And I'm a sin one who is greater than your sin issue. In our text, Paul, Paul begins by saying, Therefore, therefore, the intention is, in light of all I've just said there in chapter 1, uh, all I've just said, and quickly, he quickly transitions to the lessons we'll learn today. First, we can learn that we can benefit by living compassionately toward one another without pointing fingers. We can benefit by moving compassionately toward one another without pointing fingers. Look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 with me. Put your eyes on the text. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself. Do you hear that? Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Did you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, the reality is, the way we treat others is a huge indicator of where our hearts are. The way we treat others is a huge indicator of where our hearts are. And not only an indicator of where our hearts are, but it's how we treat God. It's a huge indicator of what our relationship with God is like. And I love what Paul is saying. Paul is saying here to the church, to church folk, to to religious folk, and to the masses, you have no right to judge anybody. Paul is giving them some sobering details. He's saying, you have no right. How dare you look down upon them when you do the same things yourself? How dare you turn your nose up at them? Mm. That's what Paul says. He's, He's challenging them here. Paul is saying, here you are condemning this person when you are no better. How, how are you looking down upon the person who's addicted, addicted to alcohol when you're addicted to yourself? When you're addicted to porn? When you're addicted to pursuing money? How, are you, how dare you look down on that person? That's what Paul's saying. He's challenging us here. 
He's saying, how are you looking down on the person? He's saying, how are you looking down on that person that's pregnant out of wedlock when you've had multiple abortions yourself? Have you not remembered? He's saying, you are guilty of the same things. How dare you look down upon anybody? And I would challenge you this morning to say the reason why the church in Memphis is such a wreck is because of this right here. The religious. The religious. The reason why the church in Memphis today is so broken apart is because of this. You know, if we had more of a compassionate heart to one another, our churches would be filled. But yet we look down upon those who may be a little different than us. Who may have had little different sin struggles than we've had. We look down upon them and we push them away. We cast them to the side. And Paul's saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare. How effective do you think the church in Memphis could be? How much more effective could downtown church be if we actually were compassionate to the people around us? That's God's challenge to us today. Don't you dare turn your nose up. And what he's doing in a sense is he's putting the proverbial mirror of the word of God in front of the church. And he's saying, look at yourself first before you point the finger at somebody else. Look at yourself. Look at how you struggle with sin. Look at how you treat your wife. Look at how you hadn't been able to be faithful to anybody in your life. Look at how you treat your own children before you point a finger at somebody else. And he's taking that mirror. And he's forcing you to look into it. And he's saying, before you glance at somebody else, look in the mirror. Take a glance, because that picture ain't pretty as you think it is. He's saying, you're broken. You need to be fixed. You're, you're a mess. And in essence, what we do when we try to judge somebody else is get this, we usurp God's authority, we, we, in a sense, we push Him off of the throne, and we place ourselves on the throne. We place ourselves on the throne, we point the finger at the person that's not like us, that we think is worse than us, and we elevate ourselves, usurping God's authority. God says, don't you dare. May we never be the judge. May we let God be the judge. How much more effective could our church be? Aside from anybody else's church in Memphis, out of the some 3,000 churches, how much more effective could this local church be if we really embraced broken people? And we didn't judge them, but we really did show them compassion. This is a sobering message. 
And the reality is, you may think in your mind, no, I don't treat people like that, but let's look at what the outside world says. You know what they say? They say there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Uh, They hate homosexuals. There's nothing but hypocrites there. I I don't want to be a part of that. And what if instead of being those typical hypocritical church folk, we actually were people of compassion and genuine love for one another? And get this, what if, apart from the people outside, what kind of testimony would it be if we loved one another? The the person we're sitting next to, the person we're sitting in front of and behind, what if we loved each other? What kind of testimony would that be to this city to say, We care for one another, even though they are different than me. Even though they may come from a different place. I don't just go to church with them. I don't just come here on Sunday morning and go back to my separate life. But I'm actually loving folk here. What if we were compassionate to one another? What if we cared for those in our body like we ought to? Wouldn't that be a testimony? To this city. See, Paul uses this to, to sober us up. He's, he's bringing us back to, to reality with these words. He's sobering us up. I remember a time, uh, I was probably about 10 years old, back in St. Louis. Um, and uh, a relative of mine was in my neighborhood, it so happened. And um, somebody came knocking on our door and said, hey, I think this is your relative. Um, man, you know, she is going nuts out here about to fight this girl. I think she's drunk. And, uh, and so my mom comes to the door and she gets all the information. And you know what she does? She runs outside. Uh, this is our relative. She grabs her. She drags her into the house. She throws her on the couch, my, my intoxicated relative, right? And my mama, for hours, sits on this girl. No, no lie. No joke. I remember this like it was yesterday. She sits on her. And she's screaming bloody murder. Get off of me. Get off of me. What are you doing? Get off of me. And my mama was sobering her up. She was sitting on her. And she wouldn't move. And it was funny to me because she's yelling, she's cussing. My mama didn't say a word to her. Just sitting on her. And she was, get this, bringing her back to reality. She was sobering her up. That's what Paul is doing with this text here. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back to reality. I'm going to sit on you a little bit with this text. Huh? I'm going to sober you up. I'm going to let you know what's real. He's saying, look at yourself first. Put the mirror in front of yourself first. That's what Paul says. And many of us, we are delusional. We're drunk with our own sin. We need to evaluate ourselves first. Secondly, 
We can't benefit from God-given opportunity. We can't benefit from God-given opportunity. We can benefit from God-given opportunity to turn away from sin. Second benefit. So we get the opportunity to turn away from sin. Paul says, while you're judging others about things you do, while you're judging others, do you think you're getting away free? Do you think you're getting away scot-free? Are you taking God's kindness and patience for granted? Look at the second portion of verse 4. Look at that. Here's what it says. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Isn't that beautiful? Not knowing that God's kindness was meant to lead you to repentance. And what Paul is saying is, are you taking grace for granted? But did you know that the real intent of God's grace and mercy was to lead you and I to repentance? To pull us away from our sin and our brokenness, to turn us in the opposite direction and to propel us into a different direction. Did you know that that's what God's kindness, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's mightiness, did you know that His sovereignty, all of these things were to turn you around and to push you in the other direction? Did you know that? Did you know that that's the story of your life? The reason why you still have breath in your body is a model of God's grace and mercy. The reason God didn't wipe you out a long time ago is because He's been being gracious to you. Because if you look back in the rearview mirror of your life, for some of you, you know what could have happened. You, you know how the story could have ended. But God in His loving kindness... He's turned you in the other direction. And He is expecting repentance. That's what He wants. He's he's not only expecting you to be sorrowful. he's He's not just expecting you to be regretful. He wants repentance. See, repentance leads to change. That's what His love and kindness is for. That's what His grace is. And His mercy that's fresh every morning. It's to lead us to repentance. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, repent. I want to share of God's grace and God's mercy. How you didn't deserve Him, but He sent His only Son anyway. Repent. Every time you hear the gospel, you ought to think repentance. Every time you think of God's goodness and mercy upon your life, it ought to propel you to be thankful, but it also ought to push you to be repentant. Repentance leads to change. Um, y'all know this, but one of my favorite shows is First 48. And uh, it's crazy because, you know, the craziest criminals, the most violent criminals... You know, they, they, they break down in the interrogation room. On the streets, they were hardened criminals. 
But in the interrogation room, they break down like wimps over and over again. And it's so interesting to me to, to see all that, that, that happens. Um, you know, you see this interrogator. And this interrogator is sitting in a chair across from, you know, the suspected murderer, right? Because that's what the show is all about. And they're sitting in this chair. And, you know, the goal of, y'all roll with me here, but the goal of, you know, the interrogator is to get a confession. So they sit down in this chair. And they slide up a little bit. And I've heard things like from these interrogators, do you want some water? Do you, do you want some coffee? You, you want to smoke? I'll light it for you. Here you go. The suspected murderer, right? And they slide in a little closer to him. And, and, and they say things like, you know, God will forgive you. I'll forgive you. And they slide in a little closer to him. I know you got to get this out. You, you'll feel much soft tone like that a lot of times. You'll feel a lot better once you get this out. And then these guys begin weeping. And they break. And they say, I didn't intend to do it. But then the integrator's job is done, right? He got the confession. How did he do that? By kindness. Hmm? Kindness. Being kind to this guy. He got him to turn in the other direction and to say, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't have done that. He was kind. He got the water. He got the coffee. He got some food for the suspected murderer so that they would turn in the other direction and confess their sins. Right? And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you know what? Because of your sin, you are murderers. And God's loving kindness is drawing you in to turn you into the other direction that you might repent. That you might go in the other direction. That you may experience God's forgiveness and His love. That's a benefit. Is that we are given the opportunity to turn away from our sin. Amen? Amen. Lastly, we benefit through unity with people different than us. I love this. We benefit through unity with people different than us. Paul says in verses 9 through 11. Look at this with me. Verses 9 through 11. Paul says it this way. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. And then verse 11, for God shows no partiality. For God shows no partiality. You need to know that this church is a diverse church. Paul is primarily writing to the Jews, but there are Gentiles in this church. And over and over again, if you look at in chapter 1, you'll see this idea of both for the Jews and for the Gentiles. 
And then you see in chapter 2, all throughout Romans, you'll see both for the Jew and the Gentile. And what the, the picture that Paul is giving us is that the gospel unifies. The gospel unifies. And so for the wicked... Uh, both Jew and Gentile, there is punishment, and for the righteous, there is glory for both the Jew and the Gentile. This is a communal kind of gospel in faith. It brings us together. We have something greater than our ethnicity in the gospel that unifies us. It brings us together. The Jews and the Gentiles hated one another. They hated to be around one another. But yet, Paul is saying, this is both for the Jews and the Gentiles. It unifies us. So now, yes, I'm a black man, but I'm a believer first. Um, Yes, I'm a man, but I'm a believer first. So now my faith, my faith in Christ exceeds my ethnicity, right? And so now I can be closer to one of my white brothers or sisters. Uh, I can be closer to them than my own family if they're a believer. Because it unifies us. It brings us together. I love this stuff. He's saying this is not a message just for the Jews. This is not a message just for the majority. This is not a message just for the poor or the wealthy, but it brings us all together, unifies us. Man, what if the church of Memphis would be this? What if the church of Memphis would look like this? What if the church of Memphis would get Paul's message? It's all over his letters. It's in Romans. It's in Ephesians. It's all over his letters saying, Jew and Gentile, be unified. Put away your differences Be unified in Christ, for He is supreme, even over your ethnicity. But you don't don't know what I've been through. I hear you. You don't don't know what I've been through as a black man. Right? I don't. You, You don't know the hardships. You mean to tell me that I have to put aside my ethnicity to to do life with them? And they don't even like me? They are against me? Yes. Why? Because Jesus reigns. And in Him, we have a commonality far greater than even our ethnicity. The gospel unifies. That's the benefit that we are unified. Um, I went to a wedding recently. And uh, this wedding was, man, it was just such a beautiful wedding. And um, the bride was black and the groom was white. Uh, It was a great wedding. But even greater than that, the picture of the congregation was so sweet. Um, To see the bride's family and to see the groom's family um, doing life with one another. This marriage, love, unified them, right? Love brought these two families together. And now the two will become one. 
because of love. Love did that. Now these families are going to have to get to know each other. They're going to have to work out their differences, right? And even though there may be some people who may not like that, they're going to have to deal with it because the two are becoming one. Love has unified these families. And what Paul is saying here is even greater than love, Christ has unified us. He has made the two one. Jews and Gentiles together. Black folks and white folks and Hispanic and Honduran folks can do life together. Y'all don't seem too excited about that. We're free to worship with one another. Even in light of our differences. Because Christ reigns, He unifies us. He unifies us. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus says, yes, I died. Yes, I was buried. Yes, I rose again. Not just to save you from your sin, but to unify you to one another. To reconcile you to one another. He said, I loved you that much. That's our charge. Is to be a body who understands the love of God so much that we extend it to others, that we walk in repentance, and that we are unified with one another, even those that are different than us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good. Father, thank you, Lord, that you care for us enough to send your only Son. Thank you, in spite of our sin, our brokenness, in spite of the reality that every area of our lives is touched by sin, Jesus is still enough. And so, Father, this week I pray that we would be reminded of Jesus being enough for us. That we would walk in repentance, that we would love compassionately, and Lord, that we would be unified with one another. Lord, would you allow it to happen in this church? And would you send us out in the city, Lord, to be unified in this city? Father, also pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings that we're about to receive. Lord, may your kingdom, may your fame grow because of them in this church, in this city, and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.